It's great to see you all. Branch, how you doing? Good, great to see you guys. We were uh, continuing in this series, Wannabe. We are looking at the conversation of kind of this person who I am and who you are and where we want to be and, and kind of the gap between that distance of who, who we are and who we want to be like. And uh, honestly, wannabeism is something that's ran in my life. I grew up in, in the time period as video games were coming out. Anybody around here grow up in video game land? Growing up, Nintendo's Atari. Atari had just come out like when I was young and then and next thing you know, around, along comes Nintendo, and then obviously uh, Super Nintendo and Sega. We were always one system behind. Anybody like that? Like, we would have Atari when everybody else had to have Nintendo. We would have Nintendo when everybody else had Super Nintendo or Neo Geo or you name it. And so, Neo Geo, that's a flashback right there. And uh, so, just all these different computing systems and game systems and stuff. Finally, I caught up when the Wii came out because my in-laws bought our family a Wii. You guys remember the Wii? Uh, back when you had the first time you had interactive controllers and what was cool was the games on there were kind of like sports games and everything. You could play tennis by swinging the tennis racket. You could play boxing by actually boxing. And way back when it started, uh, we, we figured out, oh, you can customize characters so they look like you. So I had like a little me in, in the game. My son Nate had his little me and my daughter had her little me. There was only the, like the four or five of us at the time when we got it. And so we decided, my son and I, that we were going to try out the boxing. And uh, kind of one of our classic stories in our family, we're sitting there with the boxing, we're ready to go. And I'm like trying to figure out how to punch. And what's weird is you're seeing me punch in, in the game and my, little, my son's little head going... <laughs> And of course, he's standing there and he's going like this as fast as he can. And the game's like twitching because he's moving too fast for the, for the thing. And suddenly we're laughing as we're doing this. My wife's laughing. And suddenly we hear, stop it. Stop it. My, my daughter is over on my right screaming bloody murder at us. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, God would not be happy with this. She was just so disturbed by watching her brother and her, and her dad go at each other on a boxing match. And I just love that story. She's just sitting there crying and screaming, no, this is not good. Because it just showed this heart of peace in my daughter that was just so big. And that heart of peace had just was one of those things that I just locked in my head for this week. Because all of us, I think, at some level, when we look at the, the battles that are raging out there politically, when we look at the wars that have happened throughout history and are happening now, when we look at the conflict, maybe even in your own home, or maybe when you grew up with conflict in your family's home, that that's your heart. You were like my daughter just screaming, stop it, stop it. And yet there's always a problem, right? With a heart of peace is still all this other stuff where honestly, we want our children to be safe, but fear grips our souls. And so we hope for better schools. We hope for, for better systems. And schools have gone from open free zones where we used to play as a kid out on the fields because you could get into them to literally like penitentiary zones, only one way in, one way out, and everybody's going to be fingerprinted and it doesn't matter because we want safety. And yet at the same time, our fears don't grow smaller. At the same time, we want to we wanna stop the conflicts at work. We want to get those coworkers to get along with each other. But we have so much fear and anxiety that we're working on and we're getting through because we have a critical mouth and we have similar feelings. Or maybe the conflict in your home with your spouse just isn't getting easier because you continue to, to fight or because you continue to lay things out in a manner that you didn't intend to. And there's this gap that we're talking about, right? There it is, that I want, I have a heart of peace. I want to be a peaceful person. I want to live in a world of peace. And yet, 
I don't. There's a gap. And that gap is the gap of a lack of peace. Now, how do we get to peace then? How do we get there? We've been saying in this series, it's all about one idea, that we follow the lead of the one that we want to be like. And it comes from Galatians chapter 5, 16 and 18. And what it says is this, I say to you, Paul writes to the Galatians, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so he talks about the pitfalls as we seek to, to cross this distance between who we are and who we want to be like. And as Christians, that is imaged in Jesus Christ. And we want to be like Christ. We want to be like who he is. We want to be in his characteristics. And yet we can fall into the dangers of walking right into our flesh, which is basically our default position. If you think about it this way, you and I have born a certain way. We have a born default setting. If we just give in to our born default setting, uh, he would later tell us that it just leads to all kinds of problems, right? It leads to lust and anger and disgusting attitudes and just messes. It's a lack of peace, a lack of peace uh, with each other and ourselves all over the place. And so in order to get peace, we, maybe we run to the other problem. We want a bunch of rules and laws. We knew the Jewish people had laws to get them right with God, to make them right with, with each other. And these laws were there, but it just kind of proved they couldn't do it. And it was a bit of a, like a, a sudden slavery to a bunch of rules. And he says, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And so the two pitfalls are labeled. They say it's either running after your default self, the natural way of living, or running after law, but neither of those are going to get you where you want to go. It's about a relationship with God. And right there he says, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. It is about knowing God, hearing God, and having a relationship with God in which God guides and leads you through the gap. And so when he guides and leads us through this gap, he's going to lead us today as we talk about this concept of peace. A very large concept in a very frenetic world that I think all of us would love to have a little bit more of. A little bit more in our hectic, crazy, busy schedules. I want some peace. Anybody there with me? And so how do we get there? We want to look at this. First of all, we need to identify a few things. I think we've been offered a lot of different false ways of gaining peace. Um, not that we can't have peace for a time, but the, when you understand the Hebrew version of peace, the Bible kind of indicates as you walk through the Old Testament, as you look at the vision that's created there by the stories in the Bible, by the Hebrew people, they come to a concept of what's called shalom. Have you ever heard somebody, a, a Jewish man or woman, walk up to you and greet you? They'll say, shalom. You ever, you ever had that happen? How many of you guys actually greet each other with shalom? Anybody here still do that? I know some people who did as Christians. They're like, shalom. I'm like, what's up, brother? That's like kind of fun, but... Peace was a normal statement of greeting. You would say, peace be upon you in the Middle East today. It's, it's, it, whether it's in the Islamic or in the Jewish world, peace be upon you or peace, shalom, is the way of greeting. Now, shalom in the Hebrew Bible is a concept of all things on earth and all things in heaven being in their right order and their right place. If everything was as God had intended it, you would have peace. People would not be against each other. We would not be against God. We wouldn't have these issues. And so peace is where we're right with God. We have this deep relationship that we're connected with him. We understand who he is. He knows us. He loves us. We love him. It's a peace within ourselves where there's not this guilt that we've just carried in this room today. Not a shame that we walk in with that overwhelms our souls. There's not a huge amount of insecurity and brokenness. Instead, we have this peace inside of ourselves. We have peace with other people. We have peace with the earth and the universe. Yet we live in as a Genesis 3 world, a world where 
In Genesis chapter 3, if you haven't read it, it's about the Adam and Eve who were made and they've taken of this fruit, they've eaten it, and now they've disobeyed God. They've gone their own way and all the world is subjugated now to a curse because we've rebelled against our ruler, our creator, our maker. The earth now rebels against us who have been made its ruler and we are broken inside. And so what we wind up with, instead of peace, We end up having a world where we're unsure about God, we're anxious, insecure, and in conflict. Sounds pretty good, right? That's not about where we're at today. I mean, how many people are wandering around with their different versions of God and who God is? How many of us, as a a kind of standard set American culture, think, yes, there's a God, but he's the old man upstairs. He doesn't really care about our sins. More like he just spun the world and walked away kind of a concept. Or maybe there's a Jesus and he's associated with God. Or maybe there's a Buddha and he's got a God. Or there's a Hindu and they got lots of gods. Or there's just gods everywhere. And it just proves humanity's been confused about God no matter what culture you live in or where you go. There are concepts of God and we are unsure about God on all kinds of levels because when we broke that relationship with God, he backed up, he distanced himself. And we don't have an intimacy with God because of sin and rebellion. And so that leads us to ourselves. And guess what happens then? Inside we look in and then we look out into our world and there's a world that you and I have to control. There's a world that you and I have to get in order. There's a world that you and I have to deal with. And guess what? We're really lousy at being God. And so suddenly we're anxious. Anxious about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, when it's going to happen, whose time is this anyway? And all these problems begin to erupt because we think we got to have control. we got to figure this out. And then we're insecure Because it sure darn looks like on social media, everybody else has got this figured out, huh? Seems like everywhere I turn, somebody's rising up a corporate ladder. Somebody else has got something that they need. Their kids are all fine. Whatever it is, we sit down and we're like, man, I'm not living up to standard here. And insecurity plagues the soul and plagues the heart as we examine and and compare ourselves. And ultimately, it just brings conflict because I want what you got and I can't have it. And conflict begins to rise because you treat me this way and I'm going to treat you that way. It doesn't matter how much tolerance I give you. You're against me if you're not for me, all this stuff. And this is our world. It's a Genesis 3 world. And so along comes the world to say, guess what? We've got solutions for this. Are you ready for some good solutions? Number one, if you just had more money, all this would go away. Heard that one before? I really think some of us are like, amen, if I had more money, it would go away. Because we think, hey, my messy house, I could pay somebody to clean my house. My broken down car, I could get a new car. Hey, my messed up, my messed up situation, I just get the right lawyer, get the right counselor, get the right things. Money will solve the problem. I think a lot of people think that. It's like that old question, how much is enough money? And the answer was, just a little bit more. That's when it's enough. Just a little bit more. And constantly, you just need a little bit more. In fact, they'll ask people you know, who, who have a certain amount of money, they'll always say it's roughly about $100,000 more than they actually earn. Then they would be rich and then they would have what they need. And it doesn't matter what level they're at. It's always about $100,000 more, about $100,000 more, about a million dollars more. Imagine millionaires going like, yeah, I'm not rich. No, those guys, they're rich. Yet we're never content. There's no peace with money. And yet it offers itself that way. It offers itself that way because it it looks like it could solve so many problems. And 
There's some people who are out there who know this. They go, money doesn't really help you out because it can go away, it can disappear. What really helps you out in a world messed up is insurance, right? I mean, no, no offense to my insurance salesman in the room, that's, that's not the point, but they, they love to acknowledge this world is broken, this world is messed up, you're going to die, insure yourself. You're going to need, your kids are going to get sick, they're going to need medical insurance. Your money is going to need insurance because the banks and everything can crash and you need to make sure that it's insured. I think the only thing that's not insurable in all of this world is your insurance. And I think we could probably make a business out of that idea right there, right? Let's insure your insurance because insurance doesn't always come through. Sometimes you can insure your house for a fire damage and a fire happens and they call you up and say, um, we're done insuring you now, which is happening to a lot of people in the canyon because insurance isn't always going to be available. Insurance can't give you peace of mind all the time. It'll give you some, but it can't defend against everything. Maybe it's peace through government. How about peace through strength? How about peace in the government through laws? How about if we just educated people correctly, if they would go through the right system, if they'd wind up in the right places, if we'd put them through the right penitentiary transformational system, if we just re-educated people, all the different names that are out there for all this different stuff, guess what? Then society would progress to a level we wouldn't have these conflicts anymore and we would be at peace. And yet what happens is the more the government gets involved, the less freedoms there are, more tyranny there is, and the less peace you'll have. Peace is not found through governmental systems. Peace is not going to be found through these things. They can hold to peace, and they may be able to establish the freedom to find peace, but they can't produce it. And so some people have come along and said, you know, here's the problem. All your insecurity, all your troubles, all the struggles you Christians have, the reason you have them is because you have all these critical rules. That you, you shouldn't have sex before you're married, and you should only wait till you're, till you're you know, in marriage, and, and all these other forms are, are outlawed, and, and you can't be angry, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. You know, here's your problem, Christians. If you would just be you and accept how God has made you to be, you'll have peace. You know what? I think they'd be right in some ways because I struggle with a lot of sins. I have a lot of temptation in my heart. And you know what? If I stopped fighting them and just gave in, sure, I wouldn't have to fight those anymore. There'd be no more conflict against sin. I'd be free to go sin how I wanted. And there'd be a sense of peace, but not real peace. At least not the kind of peace that we're talking about, not shalom. Not the kind of peace that's found throughout the Bible. The kind of peace I think every human being hungers and longs for. It's a piece that is, these other pieces are true, they're real, but they're temporary and they enslave. Notice how Jesus puts this in Matthew chapter 5, or chapter 6, sorry. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he lands the plane. He says, you cannot serve God and money. He says, look, you're you're a human being. All of us human beings are are made in the image of God. And the the thought structure behind that is that you are never fully yourself unless you're following your maker, unless you're imaging who your maker is. He comes and reflects in you and you become fully human. And so therefore, you will always reflect something. You will always be under the mastery of something. In this case, He says, where are you finding your peace from? Jesus says, you're not going to find it from two. There's always going to be conflict. You're going to serve one or the other. No, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and fame. You can't serve God and government. You can't do these things as equals. One is going to come before the other. And so he's claiming God should come before money. Why against money? Because guess what? Money, again, is the one in our pragmatic world that claims itself as God. 
I mean, God's really going to fix your broken car? No, money's going to fix that. Oh, God's really going to help you in that mortgage situation? Money's going to fix that. Money becomes the solution. Credit becomes the answer, not God. And so Jesus warns, he says, it's an illusion. All money is is a trading of good, but it's God who is God. Money can't do much without God being God. And so he goes, and I'll just prove, he says, I'll prove it to you. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, in conclusion to what I just told you, I tell you, don't be anxious anymore. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, not about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If money is your God, you will be more anxious. You will wonder who's going to pay the bills. You'll wonder where is that, where is that financial end going to go? What's going to happen in the stock market today? How is this going to work out? Who's going to do the mortgage? How's the car going to get fixed? All of this stress is on you because you are in control of this money. You and this money's got to help you out and it's not going anywhere. What's, it's, I just don't like talking about anxiety because it just makes me anxious. You know what I'm talking about? All of us right now have just been distracted. We're like, oh man, did I leave the oven on when I left? It's like, you've got something to be anxious about. And Jesus tells you, don't be anxious. Well, that'd be great, Jesus. How do we get there? I get it. So don't trust money. Don't trust these worldly things. How do I get there? Here's the answer. Peace comes through the presence of God in your life. By following the lead of the one that you want to be like. Peace comes through the presence of God. Again, and going back to the book of Galatians, we find that there's this, as we follow and walk in the Spirit, suddenly the Spirit, this one who is God in your life, this relationship with God produces something in you. It's not a bunch of rules, and it's not just your default setting to just be you, be you. No, this is about a a new kind of life. And the fruit of the Spirit, what he produces in your life is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We've covered a lot of these. There's only two left. And, and see, peace is right in the middle there. And let's be honest, this is a picture of the good life. Who doesn't want this kind of life? I mean, somebody volunteer to go home and have more conflict, right? Yeah, that's, I just want to go home and have a fight with my wife. That sounds like a great idea. You know, I'm going to go home and just pick a fight with my landlord. Let's see how that goes. You know, I got it. I'm going to just get ticked off at my children and I want them to hate me the rest of my life. Woo! That sounds like the good life. Nobody wants that. People want peace. People want to be patient. We don't like being stressed. People want to be more loving. They don't want to be hateful. We, we, we may find ourselves doing these things, but we don't want to be these things. And he says it's the fruit, the presence of God himself, the fruit of the Spirit that births peace in you. He was leading you and guiding you to this shalom kind of peace. And it's because the Jewish people understood this shalom kind of peace doesn't come from us. It was going to come from God. And God gave this promise in the book of Leviticus that if they would follow the rules and do everything right, God would show up in this amazing shalom. But they couldn't follow the rules. They couldn't get it right. And so the next thing you know, he says, no, there will be one who comes. He'll lead you into peace. He'll be a king. And this king will rule and reign over all of, your, over all of Israel and all of the world, and, and he'll bring peace. It's found here in Isaiah 9 and a ton of other verses, but it kind of culminates in this verse. And he says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And he's going to give great counsel to us. He's going to have words of wisdom. He's going to be mighty God. He's going to represent God on earth to us. He's going to be the everlasting Father. He's going to care for us like a family, and he's going to be the Prince 
of peace. The one who distributes the peace, the one who owns peace and gives it away. Notice this, it says, of the increase of his government and peace of shalom, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. But his point is, this is an increasing wonder of peace. Now the Jewish mindset thought, okay, well he's going to win all the wars. But no, this is a greater peace. This is the shalom kind of peace, the peace that brings peace within yourself, the peace that brings peace to the, to, in your conflicts with others, the peace that brings peace to a church in its conflicts with its neighbors, a peace that brings peace in all of its established governments, a peace that brings peace with us in the earth. This is the shalom that's going to come, and it's, a, it's going to come in one man. It's going to spread to another, and then another, and then another, and it's going to never stop increasing. Of the increase of his peace... There's no end. Man, I want that leader. Who is that leader? Well, we know who that leader is. It's Jesus Christ. That Jesus, the name Christ at the end actually means anointed king. He is Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed king. This very king we're looking at here. The one who came and established peace. A governmental peace? No. And for those of you who know him, you know he begins to establish a peace that transforms our hearts and our lives. Because here's here's what happens. Yeah, you can go to a counselor and find peace within yourself. And then you can go away from that counselor, wreck your life, and need a counselor again. We can go and have peace amongst our relationships. We can work through and go back to our Reconcile series and learn how to, in verses, that's the name of the series that we did two Easter's ago, of how to bring reconciliation in your life, how to make right relationships around you. We can do that in government level and local levels on our, in our own personal lives. We can even begin to, to work on environmental things, which is good to be good stewards of the earth and bring peace to the earth against us. We can try to do all those things. But there's no pragmatic methodology that you can find or produce that will make peace with God. There is no way that any of these other pieces are going to stick without a peace with God. Because if we're against God and God is against us, we will have conflicts in our lives. Because the people around us represent the very God we're in rebellion against. The very earth that he created for us to rule will be in rebellion against us because we're against the very one who made us and rules us. There will not be an established peace in your heart within yourself because you cannot represent the very God that you're in rebellion against. There will only be gaps in the peace that we have. The the kind of peace Jesus brought was the peace that made peace with God. And from that peace, it spreads to your heart, it spreads to your family, it spreads to your city, it spreads to your lives, it brings peace with others, and ultimately in the resurrection will bring, bring peace to the entire creation, not just humanity. This is the peace that spreads, the peace that he grants, it's the peace that he gives, and he's the king who brought it through his cross. See, when he hung on the cross, he bore all of our sin and all the hell and conflict that we've produced, and he took it upon himself, and he paid for all the things we should have done with the law because he was the perfect king. And so God granted him the peace, and the peace is now being given away. So that in Romans chapter 5, when Paul is thinking about peace and contemplating the cross, he comes to the understanding of one thing, that since we have been made right through the work of Jesus on the cross and are trusting in that, we've been made right with God, we have peace with God. That's what he's saying there. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He made us right with God. So now you have peace. God has moved into your life. The spirit of God dwells with you if you have peace with God. And so now all those practical things make sense. All those practical things work because the peace of God is established in you to solidify that transformation. 
Now you can make a mistake and there's still forgiveness that one day in the judgment, you're not going to hell. He paid for that already. There's peace. So much so God moves into our lives. See, and Jesus gives us this peace. The beginning of his last conversation with his disciples, he said this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What peace is this? The shalom that he's, he's going to have in the crucifixion. This peace with God that he always had. He goes, I'm going to give this to you. Not as the world gives to you. That's going to be temporary. I'm going to give you a true lasting peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Notice the two things. He says, I'm giving you a peace, so don't have anxiety. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Where's this going to come from? How am I going to do this? What's going to happen here? What about my children? What about? Don't let them be freaked out and afraid. Why? Later he would go on to say why. The end of the very long discourse that he goes through from that point on, which is three chapters long, you can go home and read it for yourself and see that he's talking about the spirit and what he's going to do and how the cross is going to make a difference. He says, I have said all these things to you that in me you may have peace. That in who? In Christ you would have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Out there, yes, the circumstances are going to continue. There's still going to be endemic situations that we're going to face, whether it's because of our skin color or whether it's because of our socioeconomic position or whether it's because of disease or whether it's because of our insecurities or whether it's because of our coworkers. Whatever you find, there's going to be conflict out there. But in Christ, there is a peace that you have that surpasses all of these things. He says, take heart. And this is why, because I overcame the world. See, all the other pieces, insurance, money, all these things are due to right, what you do right now. But what Jesus Christ did on the cross happened in 33 AD. And he rose from the dead in 33 AD to overcome death, to overcome sin and the mess. And that's solidified in history. Last time I checked, we can't change history. You can't disrupt God's promise that he established in a moment in 33 AD. The peace that you and I have is not in this temporary moment. It's established that God gave you a promise that if you will trust in Jesus Christ and what he did, he will dwell in your life, he will be with you, and you don't have to fear death. Guys, and death's a big fear. Death is a huge fear. It's the second biggest fear of Americans. The first is public speaking. And says, Jerry Seinfeld quip, that means the vast majority of people in a funeral would rather, be, would rather be in the box than be giving the eulogy. I thought that was hilarious. Let me just tell you something who publicly speaks. It's not that scary if you do it enough times. Death is scary because you can only do it once and you have no idea what's going to happen. The world fears death. That's why when they do a check on a baby in utero, every parent freaks out. Because they're afraid they're going to tell you anything. Because anything means the baby's going to die. Just look it up on WebMD. The baby's going to die. It's that situation. You remember when you have a firstborn kid. You bring that kid out and you're just like, it's my baby. You cuddle that kid. You're amazed with the kid. And then the kid sneezes and you're like, the kid's going to die. You put him down for their first nap. And how many of us parents stood there watching? Are they breathing? Are they breathing? Are they Because we're so scared of death. That's why when you hear you have cancer. You didn't hear you have cancer, something we might be able to treat, something you could overcome, something we might be able to deal with. No, you hear you're going to die. We fear death. We fear the consequences of death. We, we, when you're distant from God, you don't know where death is going. But God has come and told you in 33 AD, if you've trusted in me, you know what happens. There is a resurrection coming. You will come back from the dead. 
add to this fact that in that very sense, he's coming into your life so that, yeah, this world will give you trouble, but God's circum- God will overcome the circumstances. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Well, what do you have? For he has said, I, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Who you have is the living God who is peace himself dwelling with you. Though you may not have the things that you think you need or think you want, he is with you if you have trusted Jesus Christ. He's not out to destroy you. He's not going to abandon you in your moment of trouble and trial. He's not going to leave you all alone. No, he's present to establish peace with himself, peace within yourself, peace with others, peace with this world. He is the God of shalom, and he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He's not abandoning you. You can trust him. He has overcome our circumstances. He's overcome ourselves. He loves you. He has known what, that you're going to be a messed up sinner since he thought of you. He established your salvation in the past so you wouldn't have to worry about your present because he's loved you for who you are. He knows who you're going to be in eternity, and so he's transforming you into that person. That's how we overcome insecurity and brokenness within. And then he calls us to that reconciliation that he's given to us. And so God, when he dwells with you, is going to call you to peace. He's going to call you to take the next steps of peace. Some of that is going to look very practical. Let me give you some simple ways that he may be doing that. They're found in the book of Philippians, uh, which is considered the book of joy, but Paul kind of takes his big riff and gets and starts going off on peace at the end of the, at the, end of the book. And, and he starts with this, that I really believe the Spirit may lead you to pray. A lot more than you already do. Notice in verse 6 of the book of Philippians in chapter 4, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Don't be anxious about anything. He's saying this from a jail cell. And I'm not talking about like modern jail cells where, yeah, it's rough, but you get to have three square meals a day and you get to work out in the yard occasionally and do laundry and work and junk and you're being rehabilitated. No, this is, they forgot about you. If you get out, they're probably going to beat you to put you back in. You've got all kinds of trouble in jail. It's horrible. He says, hey, but don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, that's talking with God in relationship with God in communication with God and supplication. What's that word? Notice the word supply is in there, supplement is in there. The same concept of, is, is basically asking God to supply your needs. A supplication is, God, I have these needs, will you be my supply? Will you fill them in? So you connect with him in prayer, you ask for him for your needs, and with thanksgiving, which is to praise him for what he has answered, let every, then make your requests be known to God. Guys, here's the three cases. Have a communication with God, ask him for your needs, and thank him for the ones he's given you. Here's the problem. Many of us have abandoned the concept of a prayer journal. You should pick it back up. And I don't care if you just get a prayer journal. There are apps that are prayer journals. Some of them are great, some of them aren't. But there are apps out there. You could do a to-do list like Microsoft to-do or something like that or just grab a journal and use it. Here's why. Because you can lay out your supplications. You can lay out your desires and your your prayers. You, You can journal your thoughts and your conversations with God. But you need a list of how God's provided for you. Because the human nature is such that when God ever says no or doesn't answer, that's what you're gonna focus on. You're gonna be like, see, God doesn't answer my prayers. He said no. And said no again, and he said no again, and you forgot all the times that he said yes. Because we can begin to take for granted that God says yes, that you're breathing this morning, 
Take for granted that God said yes, that you actually were provided for when you needed that money for your car, or you were provided for when you had that conflict at work, that God loves to answer our prayers when we simply ask him, and we forget to write it down that he did. But when you begin that habit, you have so much to thank God over. It begins to supply and lift you up and build you up. That those of us who actually struggle with peace oftentimes do so because we have such a high bar of expectation. In a world that is so fast and strong, we're like, this is how fast I want it done. This is when I want it done. We're not patient enough for God to show up at the speed of basically the seasons. God's not a microwave. It's not a vending machine where I plug my money in, I press the buttons, and out comes the thing I want. God's the living God who's eternal. To him, time is a lot different than the way that we think of it. And so he may not have answered that yes yet. He may have said wait. He may have said no. But we need to be ready to continue in prayer. And a prayer journal is a practical application that you can take home that the Spirit of God can lead you into using because guess what happens when you're praying and leading and asking for requests and thanks, thanking God? He says the peace of God which surpasses all understandings will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus against anxiety. That the maximum amount of anxiety exists because we think we're in control, but when we remind ourselves that we're not and we let God be in control, your anxiety begins to reduce because he loves you like a father. And in Christ, with the peace of God dwelling in you, anxiety is lessened. The second thing that the Spirit may lead you to do is he may lead you to see the good. You see, again, I want to point out, if you're an anxious person, oftentimes you're a critical person. Let's just be honest out here. All of us critically natured people, we can pick, we can pick out when, the, when things are wrong in the things that we like. We know what we like. We know how we want them. And when they're not right, we know it. And so oftentimes you walk through a world of disappointment and frustration because the traffic doesn't move at the speed you want. The prices aren't the same that they were last week. The situation on the internet isn't giving you what you want, right? How many of us get mad at a stupid internet because it's not going as fast as we want it to? And we forgot when it used to sound like, you know, that whole thing. That doesn't happen anymore. No dial-up modems. No longer do you pick up your cell phone and dial and go, the dial that you've that doesn't happen. You don't get that deep, deep, deep. You know, we, we get this world of instantaneous. And we're going to be critically minded and we're going to be anxious and without peace. And so Paul says, you guys, you know what the Spirit's going to lead you to do? It's going to lead you to start looking for the good. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, if it's a statement that's true, if it's a a new revelation, if it's an amazing physical law, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, that that person was kind to you in the store, they were right to you and treated you well, whatever is just, uh, that legal decision was correct, or maybe that that decision made by your, your parents was right or whatever, whatever is pure, that that bride kept herself for her marriage and is walking down that aisle, whatever is lovely, that flower, that sunrise, or that sunset over the ocean, whatever is commendable, it was a job well done by somebody in your corporation or your child did their homework well, if there is any excellence because, hey, that was a great song, that's well produced, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise at all, think about these things. And when you do, you think about these things. He says, and you guys want you to, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. In other words, all this excellent stuff and all these other things that we've taught about. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We need to get our minds out of the gutter. 
and off the newsreels and the negative and the negative and the negative and put our minds now on the good and the positive, the true and the just and the beautiful. And guess what you'll begin to see? God is working in all kinds of locations. He is here. He's the God of peace who's making right so much. The reason we should be so excited about that is you and I don't live in guerrilla warfare land of Africa. We don't live in the freaky, scary diseases of South America where the gospel is exploding. You live in a land that has been saturated with God's truth and saturated with God's love and saturated with his reality so that everywhere we look, there are goods and wonders and truths to behold. You are blessed as Americans. Open your eyes, drop the criticalness, drop the anxiety. Trust the God who made the truths that have produced the beauties that we get to enjoy and enjoy what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, what is commendable. And you'll watch your spirit rise. You'll watch your anxiety drop because you'll see that the God of peace is with you. We need to drop some of the fear and criticalness so we can begin to move forward. We need to see then that we can be content with much or with little because you have God who is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is enough. And so he'll lead you into contentment. He'll lead you to look at that thing in your hand as you're walking up the by and go, do I really need this? No, maybe not. I'm going to set it aside for a day and pray about it. But ultimately, he's going to lead you to plan for peace. Say, what? Yeah, make a plan for peace. In, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20, it says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Too often in my life, when I know there's something wrong in the church or something wrong between me and my wife or me and my kids, I'm the one who starts to think in my head, oh, they're complaining about this. Well, I'm going to say this back, and then they're going to say this. I'm going to say this back, and then they're going to say that, and I'm going to say this. This is how I'm going to win. Anybody else with me? Like, that's how you think through your conflicts. You get ready for a fight. I'm going to say this, and they're going to say that, and they're going to say this. And it never goes well, does it? It winds up being a fight. And it never goes the way that you planned for it. What if we step back and plan for peace and let the Spirit of God lead you first into prayer? God, you're already there. You know what this conflict's about. You know how it's going to go. I ask that you would just make a road for me. God, that you'd bring peace. I need peace in this. And I, I need to be heard. And I, and I need to be right in what I'm right about and wrong about what I'm wrong about. God, would you go before me? And then we take stock. And what I'll do oftentimes is I'll take a list of all the things where I've gone wrong, all the stuff that I've done that I need to confess and work with because I'm praying with God and he's showing me these things. And at the same time, I'm looking for the good, the beautiful, the true, the just, and all this other person, all this other situation so that I'm not attacking them, I'm attacking a situation. And yet they have all this good and commendable and beautiful and true. And then I plan for the conversation due to those things. And I step in for peace, content with how the solution may end up. And guess what? Invariably, every time I have done that, and I had to do it last night, there's peace. Last night, the application of this sermon for myself was just a mind-blowing event because there was so much peace, it was palatable. Everybody went upstairs, and I stayed down for about 10 minutes to cry my head off about how amazing God was in that moment. Because he had brought about a peace and a resolution that my, I, I just did not expect. Because our God is with us, and if we're willing to go with him and follow his lead, it'll happen. But guess what? Before that happened, I wanted to puke. I was scared to death of that conversation. I was shaking and everything in me wanted to just go, I'll just leave it alone. I don't need that conflict. I'll just let it go. 
I don't need to confess that. I don't need to deal with that. Sometimes it's through that that you're going to wind up getting to the true peace. And the Spirit's going to lead you through that. And we need to learn how to be this. We need to follow him. We need to be people of peace so we can become peacemakers. That's what we're called to be. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. I started looking up peacemakers and I ran into this portrait that was done in the 1800s. It's an interesting portrait. It's of a moment in March 28th in 1865 during a strategy session of the Union on the, the steamer, the River Queen. And um, this was at the final days of the American Civil War. It was the only time these four had gotten together. And it's, you, it's Grant and then Lincoln and then Sherman. And the last one is Mr. Dixon Porter, the rear admiral. He would write about this event that he would never forget this council, which met on the River Queen. He said, on the determinations adopted there depended peace or a continuation of the war with its attendant horrors. And go on to say that it was this occasion upon which depended whether or not the war would be continued a year longer. A single false step might have prolonged it indefinitely. And in the intensity of this setting, they determined whether there would be peace in the United States or there would be continuing horrible war. And it was so clear this was the moment where peace had been established that Haley wanted to paint the moment so history wouldn't forget. Now, these four men are, are, are obviously warriors. They had to be in war. But you know what? They were seeking peace. They didn't want to continue war. And we're in a world right now that needs peacemakers. We're in a world filled with tolerance of the wrong kind. Arguments of vitriol. But what we need is peace. And the peace of God, which is established in your hearts by the presence of his spirit, is there not only to give you peace, not only to settle the turmoil in your soul, not only to settle the turmoil of death and eternity, but so that we could go from that strength, from the knowledge of the righteousness of God within you and within me, to step into this world, to make peace in our workplaces, to make peace in our city, to make peace in, our, in, in the internet, to make peace in the world because he has granted you and I to be peacemakers. Sure, it may cost us as it costs the great peacemaker Jesus, but then you will be walking in his way. And who knows what the glories and the, ex- and the, the triumphs of heaven will appear to be at that time. But our world needs us. It needs us to stand in peace and to trust the peace of the God of the Prince of Peace who is within you and within me. And I trust he will bring us to that place. Would you bow your heads with me? We talked about a lot of different anxieties, a lot of different struggles, a lot of different pains, a lot of different conflicts. But I want to remind some of you here who are here today, you may be here for whatever reason, I I don't really know, but God has you here today because he... I believe he wants you to hear that he wants to make peace with you. The God of the Bible who has promised eternity through his son Jesus has done everything that you need to be at peace with him. But all you need to do is receive it. 
See, unfortunately, we can't have any practical measure to make it right with God. But what he did instead was he sent his son, Jesus, to take your sin, to take your rebellion, and to do away with it so that you wouldn't have to face him for it in judgment. So much he loves you that he didn't want, he didn't want to condemn you. He doesn't want to put you away. He wants you to be with him. So he sent his son to do this and his son was willing and now he offers it to you as a gift. And what do we do with a gift? You're going to either receive the gift or reject the gift and God is offering you the gift to be received or to be rejected today. It's really where you're at. Do you want to receive the gift that God has or do you want to reject it? You may not think this is a true gift at all and that may be the reason why you're rejecting it all. I want to offer you something different later. But right now, you may be like realizing it doesn't matter that if God is offering you this gift, and why wouldn't you want to receive it? To receive peace so that the other parts of peace could become a part of your life. And I want to give you a chance to receive that gift right now. And if that's you right now and you know you need to receive that gift, you need, know you need to receive that peace from God through Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you a chance to let me know just by popping your hand up. You're saying, that's me. I know I need that. Maybe it's been a long time since you have walked with God or maybe it's been a long time since you've had that relationship but right now is a chance to receive it if that's you again just put your hand up high enough that I can see it I want to pray with you so God for those in the room that are that are there right now would you just give them this opportunity I, I pray that they would just talk to you right now maybe it's you just tell him God I know that I've sinned and I need peace peace with you I ask that you'd forgive me of my sins I trust that Jesus Christ has borne it on the cross for me. And I receive your gift now. In Jesus' name, amen.